Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 49, and today we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And our guest for this episode is a comic writer, artist, editor, publisher, and co-creator of the Spider-Man noir character, Fabrice Sapolsky. Fabrice, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd make sure I get all your all your titles in there. Yeah, so that, that's covered. quite a lot. I mean, that's why yeah. I, don't, I don't have any business cards anymore because nothing <laughs> could like fit in there. I know. I can imagine like how long that's a business book. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, 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 re- the real problem is that when, when you're stuck home with this pandemic we're living, uh, it's terrible for people like me. So I keep adding more skills. Uh, like so in the last nine months i learned video editing i learned coloring i i I became a better artist i became probably a better writer too and a better (laughs) editor so like i'm i keep adding skills because all this time has to be filled with stuff with something yeah yeah that's terrible for for the other people well yeah uh well it will mean like a a longer intro in future um we'll dig into (laughs) (laughs) we'll dig into all that uh in a moment and just to remind people you can subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts, on spotify uh, and wherever you get your podcasts from Uh, as always you can send us your feedback to feedback at myamada.com or shout at us on social media at myamada on twitter at myamada tease on instagram or at tazzy on both uh, so today we're just going to go straight into our questions and go behind the story with today's guests. Uh, so as I mentioned, Fabrice is the co-creator um, of Spider-Man Noir, but also works on his creator-owned comic Intertwined, plus many more with various other comic creators. He's also the founder of Fair Square Comics, which was created in 2019 with the ambition to be the first comic book think tank, which is a phrase I really, um, really like. So we, we, we kind of we changed that. I mean, because a lot of people didn't really, didn't really understand what a comic book think tank was. So we kind of, and especially this year with everything that has happened in the US where I live, we kind of changed the mission statement of the company because, because, um, I mean, as as I mentioned often, uh, I had an epiphany in the spring with all the, the racial tensions that are here and me being an immigrant living in Los Angeles and me mm-hmm. being also a minority here. I couldn't help but think, what could I do to help? And yeah. comics are a wonderful tool because it gives a lot of power to people using it. So... I was like, okay, I'm an I'm an activist, but I'm an activist that also has to keep his mouth shut because in in today's climate, me being an immigrant, I could be deported if I'm too vocal about something. Mm. So I needed to be smart. And the way to be smart is to kind of shift the focus of what I was doing through Fair Square Comics because it's it's the the outlet that I have at my disposal right now, um, and say, okay. What if it was not just about giving everybody ideas about how to make comics a better place or how to make comics more diverse, but it was actually putting that into words and pictures and becoming what I call comics for the rest of us, which is comics from 
immigrant people and underrepresented categories of creators. And this is what Fair Square is now all about, all about promoting, distributing, and, and creating comics with these people like me and like other people like me. Yeah. And, and it's, it resonates way better, especially in the US, but also in the rest of the world now. How have you found a response to that? Well, we're, we're, the response, I mean, let me tell you, we, we did this Kickstarter in August called Noir's the New Black. Noir's the New Black is a collection of uh, noir stories from black creators. And the response was phenomenal. We, we got nearly $50,000 on Kickstarter. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And like, I was crazy because like the, the, the initial goal was 36000 And I thought, this is something that I've never achieved myself as a creator, nor with anyone else. But the minute I stepped out and said, I want to put out this project, and I had... I needed even to be convinced because once I formulated the idea, I thought, but I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not, it's not my place to do it. And then I, I had this friend. I still have this friend because he's doing that project with me. His name is T.C. Harris. And T.C., who I met in 2017 while I was promoting my graphic novel Intertwined, and I was in Baltimore at a Comic-Con, and he said, yeah, not only you should do it, but I'll do it with you. And that's what we did. And now we're, we're producing the, the book. Like we're, we're wow. editing it as we speak. It's, it, it was supposed to be 13 stories. Now it's 16 stories. And it was supposed to be 25 creators. And now it's 35. So it's, it's this big volume yeah. um, with a lot of big names uh, from the comic, the American comics industry, but also international. I brought a lot of, French talents that happen to be black on, on the project because these are people that never had the chance to have exposure. Now they have, or they will when the book will be released. And, and, and this is just the beginning because we're, we believe so much in that format that Noir's the New Black has, has, has created that we want to keep on doing more Noir's the New Black by creating an imprint within Fair Square Comics where we keep the doors open for those black creators who want to come and tell their stories. All the stories are creator owned. And can you explain like the like the model of Fair Square Comics? Like for, well, I guess first of all, why you initially started. You've explained sort of the transition you've made, but then just how how you work between like yourself and other creators. So initially the model was because 2019 was such a different year, obviously. It was the yeah. old world. <laughs> the old world, yeah. Like that. <laughs> exactly. So uh it, Last year, I, it started with a conversation with my accountant. And he told me, he said, like, dude, you're, you're making quite a little, little good money at conventions. You should pay attention to your taxes. Always listen to your accountant when they say that. My, my, accountant. Yeah. <laughs> my accountant. And, and well, he, he's like that. He's like very casual. He's is is a very charming guy uh, that I met in Brooklyn when I was living there. He's of Haitian descent. He's, he's very cool, very competent. He's also very handsome, even though I'm pretty straight. <laughs> uh, he, I have to acknowledge that this guy has like, he has swag. Um, <laughs> his name is Pascal. And, and so Pascal told me like, you should do something about your taxes because uh, you have a day job. You, you have this uh, comic book career going on and you've been doing a lot of conventions lately. So uh, the IRS, which is the tax organization here, 
is going to hammer you at the end of the year. And I said, okay, well, uh, can I create a company? And he said, like, yeah, it would solve your issues. So I start. I, I, I saw an opportunity to kind of put some money aside for my older days and, uh, and also to protect my IPs because a lot of the, the, the stuff that I created in the past 10 years didn't really have a home. So putting everything into Fairsquare Comics was, to me, the idea. And then mm. this January 2020, I was laid off from my day job like a lot of people do to COVID. And so I thought, let me try to get another day job. And then nothing came because the industry is really in a bad shape right now. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to stay inactive. So let me put all my energy and focus on something that will allow me not to go crazy. And that was Fair Square Comics. I happen to have this, this book called One Hit Wonder that I kickstarted twice. Once in, in 2019 and it didn't work. And once in 2020 and it worked really well. So I was like, okay, I was off the heels of that success. And then Noir's The New Black came and it was also a success. So I had all of a sudden, this year I have two books that were successfully kickstarted and I started thinking about the future. And the future became clear that I needed to put a lot more attention and focus on Fair Square Comics while being still open to any gig that would be thrown my way because this is not sustainable. I mean, uh, publishing costs a lot of money, doesn't bring money very fast because no, distribution that. works like that. Yeah, And, uh, and especially as independents. Uh, so right now, all my energy and focus is there while I'm accepting like commissions and, and freelance gigs and other things. But that's how it changed completely my point of view from just being something about me and my, my own little boutique and a slate of IPs to something where I would welcome my friends and that has a, a larger purpose that was more like helping everyone, everyone that yeah. is like me, an outsider and an underdog. I like that concept of sort of creating something that is in a way in service to to others, other people you say like yourself, um, and particularly in the time we're in. I imagine uh, you kind of touched on it that the uptake in Noir's New Black. I imagine because of the time we're in and just the need to see more representation in in comics and not just comic characters. So that's obviously one thing, but the people who make them as well, because that impacts the characters, that impacts the story. So, and not only that, but let me tell you this. I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy in the way comic book publishers are handling this matter, the diversity matter, because it's great when you have big corporations saying, hey, we're opening doors now. Uh, all, all the talents that are from every walk of life and, and every ethnicity can come and, and do stuff. That's simply not true, one. And, and two, at the end of the day, those characters will still belong to said corporations. Mm. When people publish with Fair Square Comics, they keep their rights. I'm not interested in owning any piece of anyone else but my properties. So yeah. Because I don't, I don't want to make it about ownership. I don't, I, I don't think it should be about ownership. I, sh I sh think it should be about servicing. And yes, every creator that will work with me, I will take a fee. But everything is on the table. Everything is transparent. And I will never own any piece of anyone's work and, unless these person want me to get a piece of their work. Mm. But, but by design, I'm not interested. I have enough of my own creations. I'm not profiting off anyone. 
here. I'm just trying to make our industry better and have better practices and just have and also educate because a lot of people, especially the general public, think that comics are just worth the few pounds or euros or dollars that they put in a, in a single issue or a graphic novel. That's simply not true. Nobody really have a single idea of how much costs a graphic novel. And when I say to people, you know, when you're giving us $48,300 on our Noise the New Black Kickstarter, which after taxes and, and Kickstarter fee becomes 43, this is not the real cost of that book. That book costs actually 53000 to produce. That means that as an entrepreneur, I will have to find those $10,000 missing at this yeah. point. Yeah, to make it sustainable. To make it just, just to break even. And people have no idea. So it's interesting because it allows me to also talk about the business of making comics, which is something that a lot of companies like to keep quiet about. And in terms of like the model, is it is it similar to like what Image does um, in terms of like the, the create own work? Is that uh, a fair comparison or is that something different? It's different. At Image, and, and I know for a fact because this is a contract that I signed, One Hit Wonder was first published at Image in 2014, 2015 as single issues and Image refused to do the graphic novel, which led me five years later to create my own company and publish my own graphic novel with the same material. Right. I mean, an updated version of that material, but yes, mostly the same because Image let me down. And I'm saying it without any, without pointing fingers or any animosity, it was not their priority. And they mm. said to me, we're not interested. I totally understand this is a business decision and I have to deal with my own thing because it's a creator own. At Image, when you sign with them, you're on your own. You have to deal with your own marketing. You have to deal with your own okay. uh, with with your own promotion. You have to deal with with everything that is not just putting you in the previews slash diamond catalog. That's what Image does to you. They organize distribution through their channels. They organize printing through their usual channels. Yeah, but that's the only thing they do. So it's still on the creator to to get their work out uh, to Absolutely. any kind of scale, right? Absolutely. And is that a is that necessarily a a bad thing? Is like what what's the is there any opportunity that it provides to the creator to do it that way? It's not a bad thing, but I always say this: creator owned is not for everybody. I mean, you can be a great creator and a poor salesman. Yeah. You can be a great creator and a terrible marketer. You can be a great writer and artist. And, and, and have a, how do, how do I put it, and be afraid of any kind of interviews and, or, or, or public that appearances or anything. Out. Yes. It's definitely a skill. And, and so what Fair Square Comics does is that there's a little bit of hand-holding. It's like, you're going to sign up with us, and I'm going to take care of you just like I would take care of myself. Yeah, no, I get so then you're providing some of those, like, uh, those services that go around sort of what exactly. you've made the comic and that to actually yes. get it in in more people's hands. Um, it, yes, and also when 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 you're when you're a creator, and that's a very important thing. When you're a creator and you go through Image, if you're a seasoned creator, you know the drill, you know how to do it. But if you're not, and you happen to to be 
<laughs> drafted, if I may, uh, in the image uh, uh, service, uh, hmm. um, you uh, you have to find your own editor too, because Im- image would it w- image w- will print everything you say they should print, but it's on you if there are like typos, if the story is not right, if if you have to hire your own editor, you have to come with your own system. It it doesn't work like that at First Square Comics because. I provide all that. Me and my team, we're providing this. And because you have editing experience, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if you do it personally, but you, you understand that process, that side of the process. Yes, absolutely. I've been, I, listen, I've been an editor longer than I've been a creator. Okay. So how did you, how did you start? Because I know we, we covered some of your, like, your journey into comics in our, in our chat for uh, the Comic Online, which actually I'll, I'll link that in our show notes when it goes out so people can yeah. see that but just to like to give an overview of how you got to where you are like because you i know you started in your um you started in france you now yes. live and work in america so what was your experience in terms of how you started with comics and then how you also got uh to um to america well it's it's the story of a guy who doesn't like to being said no to <laughs> because i'm very stubborn and I, and I don't take no for an answer. So it's like when I was very young, like when I was in um, university, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I wanted to be a, an illustrator and an artist. And no school wanted me because I had too many diplomas. <laughs> this is like insane. But you were too that was, qualified, you're saying. I was too qualified <laughs> to, to get into... Uh, into um, art schools or into graphic design schools because like once I was turned down as an artist, I was like, okay, I, maybe I could switch to graphic design. And it was the early 90s and graphic design was just, it was just the beginning. But at the time, no one wanted me. So I self-taught while I was doing a, uh, a bachelor uh, in history. So wow. I, I had this very liberal arts literary kind of background on on the one hand and and the graphic design desire burning inside of me so i kind of developed both at the same time but it's something that employers had a lot of they had a hard time understanding and is this employees in france in france yes well i i I think it would have been the same thing everywhere like when 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 you come and you say well i can write and i can uh, design people are like, well, you have to choose. It, 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 what mm. if I don't? What if I don't? And I have these two hats, and I want to keep doing what I do. Well, you have to choose. And so for a long time, it was easier for me to find work as a graphic designer slash art director than as a writer. Writer, like I, I still was doing uh, some uh, writing for magazines, like on the side, but it was, it was not as much as what I was doing as a graphic designer. So of course my career as a graphic designer slash art director uh, became more important in my life. But in 1998, so that's a long time ago, 22 years, <laughs> uh, I had enough. And um, I was presented with the opportunity to have a little money from my grandmother. And instead of doing exactly what all my friends would do at that age, I was 27. I didn't invest in a, an apartment or anything. I created my company uh, and I became a publisher of a, of a magazine about comic books where I was the editor-in-chief and the art director at the same time. 
which okay. would save money, time, and resources. Yeah. Uh, and we were like three or four, but we did a monthly magazine, a professional monthly magazine that was distributed in every newsstand in France, and it was called Comic Box. And Comic Box is an incredible adventure because it's, after three years, it died because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing about it now, but at the time it was intense. I, I would say about a year into doing the monthly magazine, mm. uh, one of the companies publishing comics in France, Panini, let's name them, Panini, which is uh, very well known from every uh, yep. comic book fan in Europe, Panini decided that we were a threat because they had developed this theory that every customer that would buy an issue of comic box wouldn't buy another, an additional comic yeah. from Panini. That's a really interesting mindset to have. Like, Yeah. So what they did was they took a license to import Wizard, which was the American uh, comic book magazine, into France. Uh, and they launched Win Wizard in front of us. And of course, they were losing money, but they didn't care because the objective was not to lose money, was to kill us. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, they, they didn't kill us. We killed ourselves because at one point... We were running out of money because, of course, we were still ahead in terms of sales. We were still selling more than the other magazine. But at the same time, to produce that enhanced version that would keep us ahead of the competition, we had to spend more money. And sales were plummeting because, of course, you, you have, it's like two seats, uh, one seat for two. So it's, it's difficult to stay afloat when you're not a multi-million euro company. Yeah, like, you can absorb those losses um, exactly. over a period of time. At one point, I had to pull the plug as an entrepreneur and say, we can't go on anymore. It's not possible. We're losing too much money. So I pulled the plug after 35 issues, but I, but I never gave up. And uh, a year later, that was 2001. And plus, it was like, there was 9-11. It was like, <laughs> 2001 was like a just a mess. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Exactly. There was a lot going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And a year later... One of my friends who was a, a book publisher, he was doing like American comics translations. He said like, I like what you were doing with the magazine. I can't help you make another magazine, but we can do books if you want. And me and my team, we started making annuals. Like they were like almanac style. Like they were hardcover, 120 pages. But it was basically a, a different version of comic box. And we did three years, we did that three years in a row. And then I was called by a, another publisher who was doing a, a science fiction slash horror type of magazine called Mad Movies in France that has been there for like, I don't know, 40 years. And he said, I heard that you're, you, you guys are quite the expert on American comics. I want to do an American comics special for Mad Movie. And I said, okay, if... If we can put the, the, the name of our magazine on the cover, he said, sure, like little, yeah, no problem. And we produced that 100 plus page uh, thing. It was kind of a custom thing, a packaging thing. And uh, it, it ended up being the uh, second highest selling special to date for them. Uh, and it was the beginning of the, of the superhero movie craze. Like Spider-Man was out, 2000, it was 2004. Spider-Man 2, it was like, there, there was another X-Men. It was, it, was, uh, it was really like the beginning of what we know now. Yeah. And he came back to me and he said, like, um, I want to do another special. And I said, no. 
I want to bring back comic books on a regular basis. <laughs> and he said, all right, let's do it. And so we, uh, we had this licensing deal where we kept our brand and then we packaged it and they were the publisher. And we did that for, for nine issues as a bi-monthly this time. And it was a different type of magazine, but it was like thicker and it was better because we learned a lot from this and uh, from 2005. And, and then after nine issues, Panini, who uh, was our uh, a killer from, <laughs> from years before, came back and said, you know what? You should, we should be your publisher. Wow. That, that would make sense. That would, and, now, uh, now that makes sense. And so we, we went to Panini. They became our publisher. And we had that a, a very good relationship for 11 years. How did you feel when they first got in touch, though? Well, was that I, an easy decision for you? It, it, was a business, it was a good business decision because okay. when they approached us, it was like, uh, because initially we were really good friends. And then there was this theory that they developed and, and, and it's, like, it's like an episode of like, oh, they're going crazy. Mm. And then they came back to their senses and realized that we had more in common than differences. Yeah, but I guess as a bigger company, they would like they would perceive that potential threat. Because exactly. even like for us, when you when you were telling that part of the story, I, I remembered recently for our gamepad event, we were trying to sort of spread the awareness and getting in touch with different websites to to promote. Um, I won't say which one, but there's one that we got feedback, and essentially it was like we don't want to promote a rival event. And for yeah. one, I'm like because we're we're tiny on the grand scale of things, so like even. To to be seen as a rival event to this website. They're just like masses of followers and, and doing huge events. But it's yeah. that mindset of like, we just can't give any kind of potential threat a, a leg up, even though it's not a threat. Cause it's not like if they read your comic, I'm not going to go and read another one. Or if someone comes to exactly. our, our free online event, then they're not yeah. going to ever go to another one. But it's just that kind of mindset from the bigger organizations. So, so you see, uh, it, it all came like full circle and comic books were thriving at the time because we were the only real news magazine about American comics outside of the United States. And so quite at the same era, I started doing a lot of freelance editing for uh, French comic book publishers or book publishers that wanted to have American comics in their roster. So I worked for Soleil, I worked for Alba Michel, I worked for Jungle, I worked for uh, like a lot of, I worked a little bit for Glena after. It, it's, it, I worked for all this like French publishers that they all, they all had something that they wanted from me as an editor or freelance editor or even translator or consultant. I did that too. <laughs> the thing that happened in 2007 and that kind of changed my own perspective was uh, when Spider-Man Noir came to be. Because with Spider-Man Noir, all of a sudden, I was a journalist. I have been a journalist for a while. And all of a sudden, I'm a comic book creator signed at Marvel Comics. Yeah, because you were saying you, you pitched the idea for Spider-Man Noir. I pitched it to David Hine, my friend Dave. And Dave initially rejected it and then changed his mind. And, and we famously went on to Marvel. He pitched it for us because... Had I pitched it myself, it would have been rejected right away. I know it. Mm. Uh, I didn't have any credentials. But Dave, Dave is, um, is a mensch. Like Dave is, is generous. He's been the best mentor I've ever had. And I, I really learned the rope through Dave. Dave is amazing. Dave Hine, if you have never 
met David Hine, you have to. If you have never read anything from David Hine, you have to. Dave is a, he's a wonderful writer and an awesome person. So I can't, I can't speak highly of him. Like it, it's, it, he's, he's the best. And so I, I did that. I, I co-wrote with Dave and we developed this, this universe together. But then Marvel was not really responding, you know? We were kind of an anomaly in the Marvel universe. Mind you, in 2008, there was no Spider-Verse. Didn't exist. There was nothing. We came, we came out at a, at a period where it was between the old Marvel and the newly minted Disney-bought Marvel. So they didn't know what to do with Spider-Man Noir. We had the first miniseries. Then a year later, we got the second miniseries. And then nothing. Both our editors either were let go or left. And the, the new editor, Spider-Man editor, didn't have really a passion for it. So we, we stayed four years without hearing a word from Marvel. And when Marvel finally got back to us, it was 2014, when we did a, an issue of a companion series called Edge of Spider-Verse. And Edge of Spider-Verse, I remember Dave and I having this conversation. We're like, okay, well... They have this huge summer event called Spider-Verse. Um, summer event called Spider-Verse. They're going to put all their money in it. And they're giving us an issue one of a, an ancillary series. So we thought that after that, they would give us an ongoing series or another mini-series because we never got to finish our story. Yeah. And this is 2014. 2014. And, and so uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number one that we did with the amazing Richard Isenov was released, and boom, 80,000 copies in the US. Biggest hit ever. And it ended up with the second printing going up to over 100,000 copies. Wow. It's, it's by far my, my biggest selling comic book ever right now. I mean, maybe in the future, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but right now. <laughs> so far. So far, uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number one has been my biggest seller. And, um, and so we say, okay, we sold that much that much, that many copies, they have to give us an ongoing series. And then Edge of Spider-Verse number two kind of eclipsed us because it was the first appearance of Spider-Gwen. And they went on to sell over 300,000 copies of that second issue, which never happens. Like if you know how American comics work, the first issue is usually the highest seller. Then you have a lot of attrition on the second issue, and then it goes up again um, slightly on the third issue. Not there. Issue one was the second best-selling issue of that series, but it was not the first. So, of course, Spider-Gwen got their ongoing series right away, and we never got it. Oh, wow. So, and how soon after your issue did Spider-Gwen come out? A month. So Okay, so you had that basically a month of thinking that you can get your own... Um, exactly. series, only to have exactly. wow that's that's tough yes <laughs> and and so so at the time what happened was like okay we're disappointed again just to ask like a, a silly question could could they not have done both it's because it's, it's marvel could did would it not be possible because oh yeah both, they both could. were successful they could but they thought that well okay you have people at marvel that probably thought i don't know if it's marketing or sales that a series set in the past would never work commercially. Right. Which, which to me is, is totally ridiculous because people 
they know a good story when they see it. Yeah, wherever it's set. Exactly. And we have the credentials. I mean, if the if the book was selling consistently around like thirty to forty thousand or even twenty-five thousand, that would have been a huge success, even by these 2014 standards. Mm. So I don't know why. I mean, it was a business decision. Again, this is why working working for corporations has its limitations. Sure. Because you are invited to create something for them that you don't own, that you don't make any money of it. You don't control. Um, you don't control everything. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you're just there to perform. And I don't mind work for hire, but it was very frustrating because apart from the fact that you, we had to wait four years between the second miniseries of Spider-Man Noir and Edge of Spider-Verse, which was just 20 pages. And then another four years between Edge of Spider-Verse and a Spider-Man Noir mini web video, YouTube comic, whatever that we did for them. What do you do in the meantime? Yeah. You can't stay by the phone and wait for Marvel to give you a call. So you kind of, you kind of have to then go and create your own own yes. work, and you you just yes, have to. because when you have like all these ideas that are in your head, what would you limit to corporate characters? Yeah, and it has become like it was kind of the birth of my independent mindset. And again, you you have different type of independence. You have Todd McFarlane, for example, who's like the the <laughs> we we call him the Todd Father in the in the industry. <laughs> Uh, because Todd McFarlane is like, he's very clear. He said, I will never work for these people again. But at the same time, he's doing business with them. He has a master license for toys with DC Comics. So he can work with them on toys, but he will never draw Spider-Man again. He will never draw Batman again. And I respect that. And then you have others, and I'm probably more of that category, which would say, we're not opposed to working for corporations but this is not our life sure yeah it's not the day-to-day -day. exactly the day-to-day -day thing is you have to be the best version of what you can be you have to tell the stories the way you intend them them to be you have to show that you're not just a brand and it has been my obsession for the past two years too it's like i always say creators before brands because and, and this is something really painful if you look at the movies if you look at the TV shows and everything, creators are never mentioned. And if they are, it's like very tiny lines in the credits at the end. Nobody sees it. So I'm like, and, and look, a lot of people came to me after uh, Into the Spider-Verse was released because Spider-Man War wasn't it. Yeah. How did that feel? Like, oh, it seemed weird. That, yeah. It was weird. <laughs> I, I, I won't. It, it's funny because I learned about the movie through the trades. I didn't know anything about it. So they don't, they don't come to you and say, hey, we're, no. we're going to no. <laughs> use your character. No, I mean, there were only, I think there were only three creators, three Spider-Man creators that were involved with the movie. Yeah. And they were Jason Latour, uh, Robbie Rodriguez, and, uh, and Brian Michael Bendis. And Sarah Picelli, that's four. So these are the four that were involved with the movie. All the other were not. And the only thing is that we were invited to the premiere, which I went to, and it was, it was nice. We had really a lot of fun. Jason and, and Robbie were there, and Dan Slott was there. Giuseppe Camuncoli, who's a friend, was there too. 
and he came from Italy just to see it in LA with us. So it, it was it was really nice. We had a good time, and I and I and I have a lot of pleasure of being part of the spider mythos, you know, of being mm. of the spider gang of the yeah. gang of creators of spider-verse forever Me and, and it was Dave a really were, good were animation it's a really really good it was it was but at the same time they changed the character because they made it a, a family-friendly character if you read spider-man noir it's pretty dark and gritty and and yeah. violent and very politically charged but the oh, thing okay, is okay. of the heels of that marvel decided that okay this is now the version of the character and um what they did was after after the movie again, Dave and I were like, maybe they will call us again, and we're going to do something. But they didn't. They decided to go with another creative team, and I wish them the best. I know that they've released their their story. I've quickly browsed to the first issue. This is not my Spider-Man Noir. This is not the one that I created. This is the one that Marvel wants to see there. So right. I respect that. This is okay. This is their character. They decide they do what they want to do. Yeah, now, and that's it's a another corporate thing, isn't it? It's like you say, it's their, it's their decision. It's their, it's their decision. That, yeah. and, and at one point, it, it just proves my point once again that as creators, we need to walk to the beat of our drum. We have to come up with our, our characters, our stories, our heroes, our, our, our universes, and that are our vision unfiltered. And you were talking earlier about what uh, Fairscore is doing for those other creators just like me, yeah. when the vision is unfiltered. Like, how many times, a lot of people don't realize that when they read a comic book from the corporations, it has gone through a lot of revisions <laughs> uh, from different editors, from marketing. Everyone has a, 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 an opinion, you know? But this is not always the good opinion. It's the company's opinion. And I worked yeah, it's a at consensus and I worked, opinion as well. Exactly. And from 2017 to 2020, I worked at Humanoids, which is a publisher, like a world class publisher, present in many countries. And I could, I could see firsthand, like I was a senior editor there, but I was in charge of implementing the company strategy more than anything. And this is a great exercise. I have no regrets. I was happy for most of my time there. But I'm glad that it was over because. Clearly, it's not what I want for me and my creator friends. I'd rather see our vision unfiltered than having people say, no, we want to go that direction because that's what we want. And even yeah. if it doesn't make any sense for you. And, um, and again, there's room for everybody. Like, I'm not judging or I'm not like just saying, no, this is wrong. This is good. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, no, because I, who that, am I who, to say that? Okay. Yeah, of course. And that system, because it, it, I recently had a conversation with a comic artist, and she was she was very clear that for her, like in terms of like coming up with ideas for characters and stuff, that's not her strength. Um, so for her, like that kind of you know, give me the character to draw and direct me in that that works. So that yes, that works. It's just like what I'm hearing from you, like clearly, is that you've got your own ideas, and then you want that exactly that control to to well, direct those ideas. That's clearly what I'm doing right now because, like, I'm preparing this series that will uh, be published in 2021. The series is called Ladybird, and Ladybird came to me in the spring, uh, and I hired an artist, Italian artist, yeah. and he has been working from my designs. So I wrote, I, I'm writing the series, I wrote the treatment, I wrote the script, everything, and I created the designs. And then I said to him, you will draw from my designs. Mm. I, ha I have a very sharp 
vision of what I want. And this is what I'm doing now. Like when I cannot draw it myself because I don't have the time uh, or I'm not simply good enough because you have to understand your limitations too. Yeah, you yeah, can't sure. draw everything. Yeah, in my case, I can't draw anything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, again, I, I, I spent a lot of time working on my art. So I think mm. I'm a way better artist now than I was in January. So, but yes, um, it's, it, the, the unfiltered vision is what people should see. And, I, and to me, the, the pandemic gave us a unique opportunity as creators, yeah. as independent creators. It's like, we now are on the same levels as, as the corporations because everyone is struggling to get their books out. Yeah, yes. So it's not just us versus them. It's all of us trying to get our books out. And if we can be good enough, dedicated enough, smart enough, talented enough, uh, driven enough to show the public what we got, I think they will respond. No, I agree with that. Because there's nothing worse than lukewarm comics. Yeah, they're kind of like that don't really say anything. Exactly. And, and Noir's the New Black has been it really a revelation. Like it, it was really the thing where the message should come first. And you have 16 messages in Noir's the New Black. You mm. have, in Lady Bird, you have a couple of messages. It's a book about a broken healthcare system, which is something that we know in the United States, but it's also a book about abuse, child abuse, about abuse of a power, about an obsession for something. This is very, this is very contemporary, and, and I'm dealing with those themes while wrapping it up in an action-adventure series that looks like a superhero, but is not. Because she's not there to save people, she's there to save herself, and and it's a very important book for me, Lady Bird. And I like the idea of like having that message because even when I I do like workshops with young people around like creating comic characters and stories, and I always make a point like your story should have a message, like you shouldn't just be there Correct. for the sake of being there. It should be something that you're trying to say. And and I think certainly like maybe we're seeing it more and more, particularly this year. People want to hear like what are you trying to say in your story and it doesn't mean like every story is for everyone i think that that's the if we talk about like pros and cons of like the corporate versus independent if you're like marvel or making those stories that sort of appeal to the the masses or larger masses whereas with independence you can find that niche and you can say something that resonates to the niche and hopefully you know sort of beyond that but certainly trying to say something that a certain type of person will understand and i think there's certainly room for both of those models you know, I want to get back to the DNA of comics, yeah. which is being something that is quite soap opera-y, but also something that is close to the reality of the people making them. And if you look at the comics from the 60s, they look like society from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, blah, blah, blah. You can mm. go forever. They, they are they give us a pretty sharp look at what these era were like. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's what Stanley, Sid Ditko, Jack Kirby, all these people, the, all the greats from the Silver Age, they taught us. It's like they understood that comics were not just a little thing to entertain kids and soldiers. It was something more profound than that. That's the heritage of the 60s. I was born mm. in 1970. I'm 50 years old. I grew up with comics. 
I breathe comics. Comics are my life. I always sign my all, all my tweets with comics are life for that reason is that you learn, I learned to read with comics. I learned politics with comics. I learned to love with comics. I learned a lot of things with comics. Of course, not everything, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a character <laughs> of paper and ink. Uh, but, but you know what I mean? Like, comics have, have been a source of inspiration. You, like, I'm sure you had that too. Like, yeah. you were reading a comic, like an X-Men comic, or, or, and you see a, a word that you don't understand. You go to the dictionary at the time, we yeah, didn't yeah. have the internet, yeah. and you, you just check <laughs> you what it, it is. Yeah. And, and you check what it is, and you learn something new. That's, that's the comics that I love. There are comics that are going to surprise, the comics that are not shallow, that are not just there to be on a rack just because it pisses off competition. This mm. is, the comics should matter. And that's why comics matter than representation matters. And, and look, this is the next phase of what I want to do. Like, because it's great to just claim that you're in favor of like more diversity and minority, but there's another thing just to, to do it. And as little as I am, and I'm a very small creator, I am very aware of my place, but I want to do it to the best of my abilities with all my heart and, 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 and as much energy as I can yeah. for myself, for the others. Um, next year, because again, I've been, I've been very, very active on the creation front this year, and, and nobody has seen anything yet because it's not finished. I have four projects that will see the light of day next year. I have Ladybird. I'm preparing the return of Intertwined in a completely different uh, way because Fred Pham Chuang and myself are going to do a follow-up to the original, uh, the original graphic novel from 2017. But we're also doing a spinoff that is based on that character from the first volume that is a Chinese-born Jewish woman. And okay. this is the That's... kind of characters that you never see in comics. No. <laughs> and you will see that. You will see her origins and origin stories. It's just going to be a one shot, but it's going to be like uh, on the side from, from the regular Intertwined series, uh, which is still Kung Fu Noir and it still, will still be Kung Fu Noir. But I needed to tell that story about that woman that in the first volume poses as a guy because she's afraid of, 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 of being uh, found by Chinese mobsters because she, she wanted to escape a forced marriage. Hmm. Again, these are issues that very little comics talk about. So I want to talk about this. So there's Intertwined, there's Ladybird. I'm preparing another, another project called Man Made, which came straight out of the pandemic, which is a steampunk noir story where, uh, where in this, in, in this uh, uh, dystopian reality, uh, everyone got a virus uh, and their their limbs start to crumble. So there's a, a, a parallel economy of, of prosthesis. And, and this is a very social thing. Like the richest can have the best prosthesis yeah. and, and, yeah. And, 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 and the other people cannot. So there's a lot of robberies. There's a lot of crime because everyone wants to get an arm or everyone wants to get a fancy leg because they want to mm. run. So uh, it's, it's about this detective who's an hermaphrodite. And who, who is schizophrenic, it, his feminine side is talking to his masculine side, and he, he's, he's tasked to uh, retrieve uh, a very royal prosthesis from the Queen of England. 
uh, <laughs> uh, but no one has to know. <laughs> uh, and he's that or he's, or he's dead. So you have this, this a mystery of who stole uh, the royal prosthesis, the royal <laughs> arm, and he has to, to uncover that. But at the same that. time, it's a reflection on humanity, you know? Yeah. Um, and how much, you, how much you can buy if you're rich. So mm. it's very socially conscious uh, kind of thing. But it's, it's, it's a comic for our times, you know? And it's also a comic that deals with, with, uh, with um, uh, personality disorder, and especially if you're a non-binary person, but you can't express it. And, and, and I think that it, there's room for a lot of stories in that universe. So that's three. And the fourth one uh, is going to be a, another book that I'm doing, that I'm writing and drawing. It's called Over My Dead Body, which is a, a, a cop story of a, um, a couple that freshly divorced and she's, she's killed in action. Uh, but she's, she still, she's still there as a ghost and she haunts her ex-husband so that they can solve her murder. Oh, that, nice. Thank you. Well, that I, I, I drew the first 15 pages already, but I'm slowed down by every other thing that I'm doing. So hopefully yeah. <laughs> I can finish issue one. Uh, it's a four-issue series. Hopefully I can finish issue one um, uh, by, uh, by the end of the year um, and, 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 and start publishing. But, you know, this is, you have to keep your brain active. You have to keep looking at the world. You have to keep being creative, you know, and, and never take anything for granted. Just tomorrow could be your last. Even, yeah, especially in times like this, it helps to yeah, process those thoughts through making comics. So I wanted to ask, because a lot of the people that, uh, like I said, I do workshops and sort of some of the people that will listen to this might be like aspiring comic writers. Can you give a, like a tip for um, a young or aspiring comic creator as to how they should proceed in, in either making comics or sort of once they've made it, how to go from there? Um, there's a few things that I could say. The first thing is be as professional as you can be. It's not because you're not a, a, a professional uh, officially that you're not a professional in your head. So you have to be consistent. You have to, to approach your script, if you're a writer or your page, if you're an artist, at the most professionally, uh, the most professional way, period. You have to remember also that you're not just making comics for yourself. You're making comics because you want to tell a story and that story has to, uh, you, you have to be kind of a marketer at the same time. So you have to be a good salesman. Like, how do you sell your story? How do you, you have people that they, they come to me at shows and they say, okay, I have this concept and they start talking and after two minutes, I'm like, stop. If you can't sum it up in a couple of sentences, then I'm not interested. I'm, mm. I'm lost. Because nobody will care about your story more than you. Yeah. I don't care about it before you sell it to me, before you get me excited. So get me excited. You, so you have to think about, okay, if I am a customer, I go to the comic store or I go to the bookstore or I'm, or I'm browsing the internet and I'm looking for something fresh, what will grab my attention? Become the audience. What do you want as an audience? What do you want? What kind of reader are you? What do you want to see? What do you want to read? Then it will make it easier for you to formulate what you want. I get that. The, the other thing that is very important to keep in mind is if you are going to do your thing, which I recommend to everybody, because trying to get the attention of the studios is great. 
But at the end of the day, if you haven't published anything, no one will pay attention. You have to publish your own stuff first or get on board with other creators, do a Kickstarter or whatever, do something that will put you on the map before you approach any other publisher. You have to prove yourself. I think especially now when when the routes to self-publish are sort of more accessible, like and the competition is incredible. Like there's more competition in art and comics than there's ever been. So how do you do when you have 300 comics a week without even the the Kickstarters? It's it's just insane the amount of content that's out there. The thing also is a lot of content is always the same. Like I remember when I was working at Humanoids and I was in charge of of getting the submissions. Sometimes the same month, you would have three, four, 10 stories in the same ballpark. And it would be very annoying because it's like, don't you guys read something else than Full Metal Alchemist or Attic on Titan or or, all those kind of things? Like you can see the the trends uh, with the submissions. Like, you know that there's a a vampire trend, trend, you get a dozen of vampire submissions. You have a zombie trend, you have a dozen or a hundred of of zombie submissions. Hey, Mm. counter programming. Don't try to look at the market and say, hey, that sells, I'm going to do that. Do something. Be honest. Be honest. And I think that comes from like varying what you you read as well because often you'll find people will kind of um, in a, for lack of a better term, spit out what they take in. So if you're yeah. only reading one type of thing, you're going to make that story. But by that time, it's already been done, like you say, 10 times or whatever. So. Exactly. And in com- com- comics take a long time to produce. By the time you get to production, a dozen other teams, a hundred other teams will have produced something far better than what you can come up with. So you have to have your own flavor and come with it. You have to come with your own flavor. This is extremely important. Like nobody's waiting for you. Nobody cares about you. But you have to make people care. You have to make yeah. people hungry to see your, your next move, to see your next comic. And the only way to do that is to have a flavor of your own, not trying to borrow. I'm going to tell you something that I really tell. I don't read comics anymore. I don't. First, because I'm afraid of cannibalization. I don't want to, to borrow other people's ideas. Right. But also, I find it extremely restrictive in terms of narration. So I'm more interested in nonfiction. I'm more interested in documentaries. I'm, non- I'm more interested in the news. I'm more interested in a lot of other things that, that are, to me, more attractive than just simply read comics from other creators. And I may love those creators, but I'm saving that for later. I have a pile of comics here that I haven't touched yet because while I'm in a creative, on a creative spree, there's no way I'm going to uh, write yeah, with with uh with a uh, uh even if it's not like on purpose i'm gonna write with an inspiration coming from someone else yeah i get that even even with art i'm, I'm using photos for reference i'm not using art i like that approach actually that's a because then you're you're ensuring that you're you're looking out of the medium for inspiration exactly because the, the worst thing that can happen to our industry is to look at itself and say hey we're great let's make let's make it like a, a circle and just like pass the mic from guy to guy or woman to woman <laughs> or whatever or non-binary to non-binary this is yeah. not what we should do we should always look out for inspiration comics are sponges we writers and artists we're sponges we need to 
again, I was saying that earlier, we need to keep being close to the society we live in. That's why I'm not interested in superheroes fighting on an island. I'm not interested in that. I wanted to ask, so you said you'd like learn a lot from comics um, and comics are life. Uh, so I wanted to know what is one of the most impactful comics you've read? Just like you've learned wow. the most from. There are quite a few. Top three then, because I know like picking a favorite is really hard. It's a whole thing. <laughs> well, let, let me give you a, a music analogy. I'm a huge Prince fan. Mm-hmm. And Prince has done 44 albums in his uh, life, plus all the things that he produced and, and uh, the thousands of songs in this vault. It's impossible for me to, to even make a top 20 of, of what I love. So for comics, it's about the same thing. It's, it's really hard. Uh, there are some runs that, I, that were very important in my life, whether it, it was um, Chris Claremont and, and John Byrne's X-Men or Alpha Flight from the same John Byrne. John Byrne was like really... John Byrne in the 80s, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and, and, and Alpha Flight were, were series that really shaped a lot of what I became. Anything from Frank Miller, because he pushed the limits of storytelling in ways that I, I dream I could uh, like emulate one day or make it my own. Uh, so really, and, and in the same fashion, uh, discovering comics through that lens, uh, I, I went to discover Will Eisner and, and uh, you know, um, Milton Kniff, uh, uh, Alex Raymond, all the greats, um, Wally Wood. I, I love looking at those old uh, pieces of art and stories. Um, strangely, I was never initially a Kirby fan, uh, but I became a Kirby fan as I grew older. Do you um, appreciate more, appreciate work more? Yes. Absolutely. And also, uh, when, you, when you start your journey as an artist, you need points of, of reference. And, and Kirby is a point of reference because he was so fast and he was so uh, efficient and economical at the same time. You can only like throw your hat at the guy. Like he, he, what he did was phenomenal. So, yeah, but I, I also love everything about Ed Brubaker. He's one of my favorite writers. Obviously, I love noir. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved uh, Alias from Brian Bendis. I wouldn't say that those were influential, but I said, like, it, it's, it's a, a big, a, a giant uh, uh, I don't know, box of stuff that, that, that I really enjoyed. And, uh, and that I love reading from all the eras. I mean, I, I appreciated Ultimate Spider-Man as much as I appreciated Batman from uh, Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams from the 70s. Uh, it's, 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 it's different, different eras, different flavors. You know, I loved, I loved uh, John Romita Jr. Uh, and, and, and Bob Lighton's Iron Man in the 80s because it looked so different from the rest. I loved Rome Space Night because it was so uh, romantic and, and, and very, very... I love emotions in comics. I, th- this is one of the things that I love. I love when comics can convey emotions. And, and when, I'm, when I'm writing comics or when I'm drawing comics now, this is the thing that I always keep in my mind. It's like, how, how can I make people feel about my characters, feel about my stories, feel about anything? If they laugh, 
they're angry, they shed a tear, then I did a good job. If they don't feel anything, I suck. Yeah. I don't know if it answers your question, but it's, it's clearly like... No, that answer was, was great. I'm someone who can't like pick one thing. I, I don't know. Like I asked it knowing full well that I wouldn't be able to answer that question. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, the thing is that a lot of people will say, oh, I love everything by Alan Moore. I love it. That's not my case. I don't like anything by Alan Moore. Alan Moore <laughs> has written like a lot of great stuff. But that's not my favorite stuff. I mean, I love the first three or four volumes of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I love it, but it's not my favorite stuff, you know? Mm. And, and like from the top of my head, I mean, I love Watchmen, but Watchmen, I even like, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I love the series, the TV series better than I love the, the comic. Oh. Not because of it, but because of the message. Again, you right. get back to the message. Yeah. You get back to what they did it means more to you. It. It, yes, it means more to me. I learned tons of things. And again, it was all about emotions. Emotions in the original Watchmen were buried into storytelling. And it felt a little cramped because even if it, if it was 12 issues, you felt that they only they barely scratched the surface of what they could say about the characters. Hmm. Like you spend 12 issues looking at Dr. Manhattan and you don't know him. That's true, right? Yeah. Mm. All the others, like I mean, Silk Spectre a little bit more, but but uh, or the I mean, the comedian they they they're going through his his backstory, but like all these characters are really strangers. But if you look at what they did in ten episodes of a TV series, you learn more than in twelve issues because the plot was more important. There was there was this whole thing about about the war, about Nixon, about five minutes before midnight, like. And, and the conspiracy from um, Ozymandias. Um, so yes, all this was very interesting in the original Watchmen, but I love the fact that the TV series brought us emotions. I agree with that. I think, yeah, getting people to feel for your story, for your characters. Exactly. Cool. Um, it's really good. This is like, just gives a really good insight from, from someone who's been on sort of both sides in terms of like we talked about corporate and Indian and can speak really well to to both of us is yeah just good to get that insight well, um and if, and if people like are listening uh, i don't know where most of your audience is i don't know if you most of your audience is in the uk or if you have UK, like more international yeah. yes uh uk and america I will, i've always been fascinated with the with the uk market because it's like it's it's not really <laughs> it's not really shaped like any other market it's like just because uk is is a collection of islands but <laughs> but uh it's it's really different like the independent scene is it extremely extremely good and diverse there's a lot of things but at the Very same diverse. time yeah but at the same time most of the comics that are produced i remember visiting uh thought bubble in leeds in 2008 yeah. it was amazing yeah. and i place. saw all these vendors all these vendors that were like independent and i never heard about them and I'm like, why aren't they promoting more outside of the UK? Guys, you have the world. <laughs> I wish I could answer that question. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in that basket. So I, I, yeah, I, I, I take your point now because the world is accessible. But Yeah, and, and like, especially like I, I live in America. I rarely have the opportunity to, to see on my feed uh, British made comics that are not like from people that are already established, you know? Yeah. 
And, and, and I think that's a shame because there are still a lot of talents in the UK that deserve to be seen. Uh, a lot of diversity also, a lot of diversity in styles. I know, they, I know that there's a huge manga-like scene in the UK. Yeah. Um, yeah, cause that's the part like, that we've taken in terms of like man using a manga style to create like an original, uh, series of stories. Yeah. I don't know how, how well Webtoon is working over there. I speak to um, some creators that use it. It's a model that doesn't necessarily work for the way we work, but I know a lot of independent creators, obviously specifically artists that can use it to, to gain a following and then take that to like a, uh, a Kickstarter yeah. or, or a Patreon or, or something like that. That's the new normal. Like, yeah. this, that's also something, uh, and, and I'll probably wrap up with that. In the old days, you would, put, you would create your book, put it on the market, and wait. Right now, it's a constant hustle. It's a constant yeah. fight. You and you don't now. get, you have so many channels. You don't get all your money back from one. You get your money back, if you do, from five, six, ten different channels. You, you, the life of your comic is far bigger than it was before. Yeah, definitely. And the audience, like you said, in terms of is, is, is wider than you might think. Like we're, um, Fair Square Comics is negotiating with a company named Inker Comics right now. And, and we're probably going to sign on with them. It's, it's a Vietnamese company of digital comics. Uh, okay. and, um, but I like their approach because their approach is like, okay, well, it's very simple. Uh, we have our cost, and once the costs are deducted, fifty percent of the net profit goes to you. And 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 I know that digital comics people are not really used to paying for them. But uh, if Asia has taught us something, is that the uh, the YouTube style model is working. I remember before I started Intertwine in twenty fifteen, I was in China. That's that's how I got the idea for the series. And in China, I couldn't find a single bookstore. So I asked my hosts, where, where are the bookstores? And they were like, oh, no, people are reading manga on the internet. It's, it's paid by advertising. They don't care as long as they don't pay. So they've already switched. They've already switched because uh, due to the, 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 the size of the country, they couldn't have a network that was like, making any sense for anyone. So uh, distributing books is something that is more local. You still have books that are being distributed. You still have licenses. You still have books printed there. But it's not the majority. The majority, which is a younger audience, reads on their phone, reads on their tablet, reads on their computer, but they read digital. And if they like it enough, they will buy it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like the Korean market, the Vietnamese market, the Thai market. These markets are converging through that model. That's why Webtoon, the Webtoon system, is thriving there. Because, yeah. because it's totally this way of storytelling. Now, this is not them. my favorite. Yes, this is not my favorite. But what I like about Anchor is that Anchor leaves you the choice. You can, you can put it webstone style or you can put it traditional style. Doesn't matter, you know? And, and I was afraid for a long time of putting out my comics free and then wait until the audience grew. I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. Okay. I guess just to let people know, so where... Uh, where can people find you and uh, find out more about the work you do and the work that you've got coming as well? Well, they have to follow us. Um, so they can find um, Fairsquare Comics at fairsquarecomics.com on the web, uh, at Fairsquare Comics on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. 
And of course, they can find me. It's I'm very easy to find at Fabrice Sapolsky, all attached on every platform. I insist on also LinkedIn because I think it's not just about the comics. It's also about the business. Yeah. Uh, Fisker Comics did something. I mean, we didn't talk about Twin Kings Battle, which which was a, a manga-like queer graphic novel that we unsuccessfully uh, tried to to fund on Kickstarter uh, this this fall. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that, that was a shame. It's a shame because we we could have raised at least thirteen thousand, and we needed eighteen to get the money. So mm. as a result, we have no money and we have yeah. nothing because, as you know, Kickstarter is all or nothing. But at the same time, we learned a ton, and we also were the first uh, com- comic book company, uh, especially for a company of my size, of of our size. Uh, to to get an ad on Hulu, which is a, a big network here, wow. a big streamer, uh, and and we, we pushed a lot of boundaries with that comic uh, in terms of promotion, in terms of, but it it was not enough because there was so much competition on Kickstarter, but also there was the election coming up in the U.S. Yeah, so it it, it was probably not the time. Uh, so we're we're gonna restart that because Phil Brion as the artist is just amazing. He knows how to do everything. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, no, and I'm, I'm not joking. Like he, He's not just a friend, but also is, his heart is bigger than anything I've, no, I've seen in a creator. You're tra- we were talking about emotions. I decided to open the door to his comic at Fair Square Comics because of the emotions that I got from reading his book. And, and and I think that has to be shared. So we're gonna we're gonna put it precisely on the digital platform, and then we will go back to Kickstarter. But so that people can see for themselves the quality and and the the unique nature of of what Phil is doing. Uh, but 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 yeah, you, you never stop learning. Like failing is just another way of learning. So yeah, it's, just, it's, it's a natural step. So I, I don't care. We lost money. Yes, we did. Yeah. We did. I mean, it's it's twenty three hundred dollars of 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 marketing costs that I will never see. Um, come back to me, and, and 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 that means that I have to work more to compensate. That I have to I have to find other project that will be more lucrative. But this is just like the, the thing that people don't see, and that's why I'm I'm insisting on like if you if you want to be serious about self publishing, you have to be serious about the business. You have we have to unite independence. You we have to find ways to distribute ourselves in in, in more places. We have to go where no other publisher will ever go because their eyes are somewhere else. My mm. eyes are not on TV and Netflix and, and, and movies. I don't care about that. My first mission is to put out the best stories that I can. And then if by any chance, someone at Netflix or, or Hulu or whatever studio likes it, the better. But this is not a priority. I think but that for years, work. exactly. I think that for years, a lot of creators have, have thought, oh, I'm gonna do that in comics because it will be a, a, a it will be the the stepping stone from where I can build my house uh, <laughs> and my IPs and a, and the pool that goes with it. All thanks to Netflix. I don't think I think we have to go back to basics. And basics is like comics are designed to entertain and make people think uh, about the society they live in. And this is what I want to do: emotions, uh, substance. This is what my comics are all about. Yeah. No, that's great. And like thank you for sharing that and um like i said thank you for joining us and like just telling us about your journey my pleasure. So anytime a pleasure speaking to you i'm just i'm making so many mental notes right now so <laughs> <laughs> if your subscribers have questions i'm always available always 
Well, I, I yeah, answer we'll put all your links in our, our show notes yes. as well. So we'll do that. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, to everyone, um, to everyone listening, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. This like, we hope you're taking notes as well. And yeah, just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And check out our own stories uh, we make uh, manga stock comics you can find those at mymatter.com forward slash manga obviously it's a, a comic based chat but we also have uh, our own video game event called gamepad which you can check out at gamepad.events and yeah just stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like this one video game discussions and our usual deep dives into stories across pop culture uh, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. And until next time, stay tuned and stay safe, everyone. Take care. Mm-hmm.